0: Force beat Live Week 17, the Chiefs prepared to take on the Cincinnati Bengals and are riding high on an eight-game win streak after last weekend's 36-10 to 10 thumping of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The win also secured the Chiefs' sixth-straight AFC West Divisional title. I'm joined by my colleague, the esteemed Vahe Gregorian.
1: Where is your cup of coffee, my friend? There you go. It's the one with uh, Goldie Buttercup and Ralph on it that was made for us by our friend, Ashley. You and I are
0: are sporting the all-Juice sweatshirts. Hey, you know, we did not raid each other's uh, wardrobe, but, you know, hey, always a tip of the cap to our friend, Therese Paler. Uh, Also,
2: Sam McDowell joins us. Sam, are you drinking Gatorade or coffee? We got to see this. Um, I got nothing with me, Arby, but if you guys had given me the memo, I would have worn my (laughs) T-shirt. Hey, before looking ahead, let's recap
0: the week with the news items. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who suffered a shoulder injury in week 16 against the Steelers, didn't practice Wednesday, but the Chiefs welcomed back numerous players from the COVID-19 list. Sam, who's back and what does
2: it mean for Sunday's game? Ooh, um, I don't know. They got the list right in front of me, Herbie. Maybe I should go to you for this. Uh, but everybody, I mean, that's, that's the, the quickest answer is everybody is off the COVID list. That includes Harrison Bucker, Travis Kelsey, Nick Bolton, Lucas Niang, Tommy Townsend. Um, so yeah, the, the Chiefs were practicing with the full squad yesterday with the exception of Edward Hilaire, and then Mike Hughes missed it for personal reasons. Yeah, and the other good
0: news for the Chiefs as well is Tyron Matthew, who left Sunday's game with a quad injury. Hey, Coach Andy Reid said, quote, he's feeling great, end quote. So he practiced in full and was not on the injury report. So that means he's probably going to be just fine for Sunday's game. But let's talk about that COVID list real quick, though. Are there any concerns on conditioning? And Sam, I know, like, we heard Patrick Mahomes talk about Tyreek Hill, what he noticed on the field. And even Chris Jones had mentioned, you know, trying to get back in shape. But as as Kelsey and a the host of players are coming back from the COVID list, how concerned are you
2: about their need to get back into, quote, game shape, end quote? Well, I mean, I, I think that just because guys are back doesn't mean they're back to 100 percent. I mean, there's a difference there. and we've, we've seen that this virus affects people in different ways. Chris Jones was was pretty candid with us yesterday on on his Zoom call and said that, you know, he absolutely felt something. You know, he was not at one of the asymptomatic individuals. He, he said he was feeling congested. And, he you know, it's been what Herbie nine days since Chris Jones was off that COVID list? And, and he said he still feels like he's trying to get back in game shape. So great news for the Chiefs in terms of who's back. But I still think we're in the wait-and-see game to see at what percentage are they back. How are they feeling, and you know, how much can they go on Sunday? So, of course, reminiscent of last week. Now, Tyree Kill was activated late in the week. We found out Saturday that he had cleared COVID protocols. But as you mentioned, Patrick Mahomes said Tyree Kill was exhausted during the game on Sunday. And Andy Reid had already told us that he had to have ongoing conversations with Tyree Kill throughout the game. How are you feeling? How much energy do you have? We saw Tyreek kill involved early and not a whole lot late. I think that was the primary reason why. Vahe,
0: you're a former Division I college football player. I'm giving you your props here. <laughs> when you mentioned conditioning, Sam talks about the conditioning. As a former college athlete yourself, how
1: is that affecting what these guys need to do? Well, look, I mean, one thing we know is that everybody's body is different. Uh, we also know that everybody uh, has incurred this, this illness in, in varying degrees. Uh, we also know that there is, especially in football, I think this is probably true in other sports, but certainly in football, there's no substitute for either game action or practice action. Even in these days when there's not hitting of the nature that it was back in the Jurassic era, I mean, during the week, you know, it, it's being in, in, in pads, it's, it's playing at the pace of those around you. And we know there's a difference between game speed and practice speed. So there's a lot of X factors with each guy. There's just no, no way around it as Sam emphasized, the idea of being back in the saddle for, you know, up to a week or most of a week is different than a day or so. There was no practice on Saturday. So Tyreek did not practice at all last week. I think we'll see varying degrees of that. Uh, you know, we don't know at this stage if, if which of these guys was actually asymptomatic or which of these guys, you know, had a little something, something.
2: Sam, you were getting ready to say something, you know, put a pin on what I said. I completely agree. You know, we don't, we know Chris Jones was feeling something because he told us, um, but we don't know the rest of the guys how much this virus affected them. And, and those who were affected, they don't know how much it's going to continue to affect them going forward. Yeah, and the Chiefs, you know, kudos to the Chiefs coaching staff because every time somebody has
0: missed time, even Spags last week had mentioned that they want to be smart with players because of the missed practice time, because of the missed game time, because as Vahe points out, there's a huge
2: difference in all of that when you are not around the team. Well, Herbie, one, one yeah. point that we should put on that that I, I'm sort of thinking about now is, remember, Tyron Matthew opened the season with 10 days on the COVID list. The Chiefs held him out of Sunday's game, even though he had been cleared. He cleared all the protocols, and it was purely because of conditioning. You know, Herbie, you were sitting there watching Tyron Matthew warm up that game, and we all thought, okay, he's warming up. He's been cleared. He's going to play. And Andy Reid held him out because of his conditioning. Now, these guys are being rushed back. I shouldn't say rush back. They're being allowed to come back at even quicker pace based under the NFL's new protocols. Um, But just because the NFL clears them, it doesn't mean that conditioning aspect has changed at all. And just to add to that really quickly, you guys,
1: please disagree with me if I'm wrong on this, but we've certainly seen this pattern under Andy Reid. It seems to be wait another game or give it more time. I I don't think anybody can accuse this coaching staff of um, trying to influence Rick Burkholder. Uh, or anybody into getting guys back faster. I mean, I think they want guys to play as soon as possible, but I think they've got a pretty good track record of not endangering somebody who's either, you know, just recovering from an injury or, you know, working to get back in shape. Excellent point.
0: Because even Steve Spagnuolo said on Thursday last week, we have to protect the players from themselves because – Vahe, as a former college athlete, you know that you want to get out there regardless
1: if you're hurt. You know, you just want to get out. I'm giving you props, Vahe. Let me, let me say this. As a former college athlete who didn't play, I really wanted to get out there all the time. <laughs> but
2: you went through all the practices, OK? <laughs> yes, I did. That was the hard part. <laughs> did he pay for all these drops? I mean, how many How t- How many? How many are you going to drop today, Herbie? The fact that, that Vahe played college football. Hey, we have a subject matter expert on our panel
0: here when we can talk about this kind of stuff, okay? Hey, transitioning to some of the sad news of the week, Uh, the NFL mourned John Madden, who passed away Tuesday morning at the age of 85. Andy Reid had a close relationship with Madden, who even offered advice to Reid to take the Chiefs job in 2013. Here's what Reid said Wednesday on his friend's passing.
1: Well, he loved to hate the Chiefs, but he loved the Hunt family, so... Uh, but I mean, he'd tell you that they had some knockdown dragouts. He, you know, he could about remember every play. So, uh, but he said it's a great organization. The Hunt family is phenomenal. Um, you know, it always remind me to tell uh, Norma Hunt, hello, you know, so he just, uh, he liked them, but he didn't like them.
2: <laughs> You've always said that you are a teacher when it comes to being a football coach. And that was obviously uh, something John was passionate about. Just what do you feel like, John taught you most about how to be a teacher.
1: Well, he was a player's guy. I mean, he, he would talk to him, communicate. And he did the same with us, you know, with, with the fans on TV. I mean, that's what he did. So that's why we all loved him. He kind of taught us the game uh, in a simple way where everybody felt like they could, they could go play.
0: Vahe, you wrote a touching column on Reed's relationship with Vahe, and, and for our readers and our viewers right now, strongly recommend you go to KansasCity.com and read it. What
1: is the depth of their relationship, and how, how did this affect Andy? I think Andy was working extra hard to suppress a level of emotion yesterday. That's just my gut feeling, but he he gave some answers that were a little a little bland, but you could tell there was more in the answer, and I thought it was... Again, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I thought it was very interesting that he ended the call by thanking the media for asking so many questions about John. You could tell this is an important relationship to him. I wish we could have just had a session talking to Andy about John, because I think he would have gone deeper into the the, the period of time, which I think was long lasting, where they talked once a week with Andy as part of that uh, subcommittee, but also as friends. John gave him a lot of encouragement um, in Philadelphia, especially when he, Andy was having some similar um, similar episodes that to what John experienced in, in Oakland, winning a lot in the regular season and losing big playoff games that they commiserated. And and it was kind of fun that that uh, when Andy spoke of uh, the first time he met Madden, getting in the Madden Cruiser and getting a lap around the parking lot at Lambeau, I, I think Andy referred to it as the thrill of a lifetime. You know, what, what's interesting to me, just one other quick side point, is that John Madden seemed to occupy a place in the profession, You know, obviously from a couple of different standpoints, but that younger coaches, and Andy at that point really was a younger coach, really looked at him as iconic. And it was because I think he had such a sort of charisma and every man quality that everybody could see something in him. And if he took an interest in you, then I think that – just affected you forever, and and for whatever reason, whether Andy was joking about them being linemen or that they like to eat or they're both from California, um, I think the fact that they both had uh, linemen in their past was part of it too. There was a, there was a very natural connection between them. Sam, you wrote a
0: line in your your article yesterday on the players' reaction to John Madden. I thought was like it, it really hit me because you said it was generational. How did the players react to, when well, we had Chris Jones and Patrick Mahomes yesterday, but how did they react to the news of John Madden's
2: passing? Yeah, you know, I, I think that, like Vahe mentioned, John Madden had a relationship with the next generation of coaches. And the, the relationship, the connection with Andy Reid makes a ton of sense because I, I just think their personalities are a lot alike. I mean, they, they do have that players-coaches mentality. Um, and then I, I think you had the next generation that, that watched him as a broadcaster. You know, they grew up listening to John Madden explain the game to him. And, of course, the Madden telestrator was, you know, innovative at the time. And then you still have this generation of the current players who are playing the video game that John Madden put his name to in 88, I think it was. You know, if you watch that documentary that, that Fox played a week ago, John Madden was pretty instrumental in making that Madden game as realistic as it could possibly be. You know, that game was designed back on 8-Bit, and they thought, you know, there's there's too many people on the field at once. We've got to get rid of some of the linemen. It's the only way this is going to work. And he said, I'm not involved unless you've got all 11 guys on the field including the linemen. And, you know, obviously his voice was on the game for years and years and years. And so a lot of people who never saw John Madden coach, who never heard him announce a game, still felt a connection to John Madden through that video game. And that's what Patrick Mahomes and, and Chris Jones said, you know, Patrick Holmes has been on the, he's graced the cover of the video game twice. Um, And kids grow up, um, Chris Jones included, just wanting to play with their own person in the Madden game. And so that was a really cool aspect to hear Chris Jones describe. Um, Patrick Holmes said he played the game with his dad. Um, Said his his dad made him cry because he always beat him. He always took the Vikings with Randy Moss in the game. I played the hell out of that game. I don't remember the Vikings being the team to beat. I remember you didn't want to play against Michael Vick. Um, But, yeah, it's going to continue, too. That's what's so cool about it. I mean, we're talking to the players now, but the next generation of players are going to know who John Madden is because of that video game as well. You know, that video game came along a little too late for
1: me. You're missing out. That was great. I'll have to maybe see if you've got a version of it still at the McDowell home and do a pop-in. There was a, a Sports Illustrated board game. I don't know if any of our audience is uh, old enough to remember that, but we would play that forever. and It involved a lot of picking cards and rolling dice, and, and uh, somehow even that seemed captivating. I can't imagine how just engrossed you would be with a game where you actually feel a sense of physical control, not
2: to mention having your name on it. I was not big into video games as a kid, but I, I bought Madden every year, and it was usually the only game I bought. You know, it was the reason I had a PlayStation was to play Madden, and every single year I bought the updated version of it.
1: We're
0: sitting here reminiscing on John Madden, and actually, you know, y'all mentioned what he meant to you. I think for me, uh, growing up, and you know, we're all men of a certain age, right? Vahe, at least two of us are. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly remember the Miller Lite commercials. You know, who who could not appreciate and fall in love with John Madden? He's busting through the walls, and boom, (laughs) you know, that's that's what I remember the most about John Madden, And, and he introduced a lot of people to football, even if he didn't like the sport. You came to love the sport because of the way he would break it down. I thought it was phenomenal.
1: You know what was fun, too? And this is spoken from somebody who didn't grow up here. But again, I'm a, I am was born in 1961. So the heyday of a lot of uh, Chiefs Raiders stuff, you know, from on into the late 60s and early 70s, even if you lived in Texas or on the East Coast where I lived, you know, obviously we didn't get that many football games then. But you could almost always count on an AFC West or NFC West game late afternoon as the second game. And I just I can't tell you how many times I remember seeing Raiders Chiefs or seeing just Madden's uh, unique posture on the sideline. And and uh, he just seemed like another guy. Right. You didn't know that that uh, he had a way of really reaching these players. You just knew they were successful. And I, I think that was an, a part of his appeal. Right. And Andy explained that a little bit yesterday. He just made it seem like a simple game you could go play. Patrick said that, I guess, actually.
0: Well, speaking of a simple game, this is actually transitioning into what the Chiefs face in Week 17. You know, you got the Cincinnati Bengals. They've, they've got three players on offense with more than 1,000 yards, both of their wide receivers and their running back, Joe Mixon. How simple is this game? You know, the Chiefs are currently in the driver's seat for the number one seat as long as they don't lose and, and you know, the Titans don't catch them. Uh, so what do the chiefs need to do this game? Uh, Sam, you got Joe Burrow over
2: there. This this, when you look on paper, this is a pretty prolific offense, right? Yeah. And I think it's going to be for a while. I mean, those guys that you mentioned are all under t- or 25 or younger, including the quarterback. So this, this could be a team that the chiefs face for a few years now in this, in these sorts of situations, um, you know, huge game. For, I think it's a bigger game for the Bengals than it is for the chiefs. I mean, a lot of people are probably wondering, can the Bengals compete at this level? And this is their opportunity to prove it on their home field. So the Chiefs are going to be facing a team that I, I think emotionally is going to be on a high. And that's going to be something they have to account for and match that intensity. But specifically on, on, with the X's and O's, the wide receivers are all going to be a lot to handle with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. You know, you could argue that that is as, as good as anything the Chiefs will have faced this year, um, especially when you consider that Higgins is the number two guy. And so, you know, th- to me, the big matchup is the secondary. You've got to pressure Joe Burrow because you can't allow those guys even more time to get open. But yeah, I think the Chiefs are going to give up some points. This defense has has been fantastic over the last eight, nine weeks. But I do think because of the two wide receivers that it's their biggest test yet since they uh, sort of had this midseason turnaround here. Vahe, what do you think about this game? Look, I like how the Chiefs are
1: playing. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. uh that they, you know, they've kind of drawn a line in the sand, but uh, after that three and four start, but that I think inherently a line in the sand means it's you know, able to be changed. Right. So that every game remains a, a proving ground. And I think the chiefs are the team to beat right now, but uh, it doesn't make, make them invincible in any way. And uh, they'll be incentivized. I, I think, you know, there's a lot at stake here for the chiefs too, probably not, not to the degree of the Bengals and, and, Knowing that the, the Chiefs are kind of top dog, I think that adds something to what everybody uh, feels going into a game with the Chiefs these days. So I think the Chiefs will need their A game. I think if the Chiefs play their A game, they'll, they'll win this game.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you as well. I think, like, when you look at the, the Bengals and even all the teams in the AFC, the Chiefs are the team that they want to measure themselves against. When I look at this Chiefs team and that's eight-game win streak, they are truly coming together. The past month in December, they averaged 35 points per game. Mahomes was averaging 277 yards passing per game. He won the AFC Offensive Player of the Month for December. I, I think there's just entirely too much here for the Bengals to handle, even at their own home station. Would you all agree with that? And I'm predicting the Chiefs to win this game.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's even, you know, those stats you mentioned with Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he's set out fourth quarter, you know, the past two home games with, with the Raiders and the Steelers. I know he threw one pass. Last week against the Steelers, but heck, even most of the second half, they were just running the ball. I I, I think you've seen a new version of the offense. Um, You know, it's it's funny how often we talked about these deep shells and what are the Chiefs going to do? And I mean, Patrick Mahomes literally faced a question about has the has the NFL figured you out Has that they figured out the Kansas City Chiefs. And this is part of how the NFL works. I mean, it's adjustment and then it's an adjustment to the adjustment. And it took the Chiefs a while, but, but they've readjusted to what they're seeing. Uh, part of that is just not turning the ball over. And part of that is, is just, you know, they had some bad bounces, some bad luck along the way. Um, but they've, they've, they've figured something out here. And, and part of it is his connection with the receivers. Part of it is, I think, giving the playbook just pat, back to Patrick Mahomes over these past couple of weeks. But they're a different team than they were early in the season. And crazy enough, it's it's because Patrick Mahomes has been a different player than he was in the mid-part of the season. Look, the Chiefs have
1: evolved, obviously, as a team in multiple ways. And in a lot of ways, the defense is the most you know astonishing or most pronounced, however you want to put it. But in fits and starts, Patrick and, and the offense have evolved too. And what's interesting, to add on to what Sam said, okay, it is adjustment adjust to adjustment, but all of that means that the Chiefs array of ways to adjust has increased. It's too bad for, for them that they struggled early in the season, but all the things that they've, they've seen now adds to the, what they have in their holster for dealing with seeing it again or other variations they're going to see. So I think you can make a case that they're better rounded, uh, more prepared, more versatile than maybe they've even been in the last couple of years. It, it, I mean, we'll see. It, it depends a little bit on what the line continues to do. Um, and a little bit about who they've, who they've got in the backfield. Yeah,
0: that, that's a very good point, because if Edwards-Alaire doesn't play, then, you know, the Chiefs are down to Darrell Williams, uh, Derek Gore, fullback Michael Burton, and Jarek McKinnon might be coming back this week. He was designated to return to practice. He's been on injured reserve with a hamstring injury, so he, he might be available if Edwards-Alaire doesn't play. But you know what? We, we mentioned adjustment, and as we get ready to wrap down the show, we on Sports Beat Live will have to adjust without producer Beth. Producer Beth, where are you? Come on there. <laughs> for our viewers who don't know and for our readers who don't know, behind the scenes of every production is the unsung hero. And for us, the unsung hero has always been Beth Walsh. Uh, she has produced numerous Sports Beat Lives and even podcasts across the Kansas City Star over the past few years. Unfortunately, this is her last show with us as she gets ready to move on to other things. Beth, we just wanted to bring you on to say thank you so much for everything that you have done for us, uh, especially us. You know, you
2: kept us in line. Vahe and Shane, if you have anything special you want to say to Beth before we turn the floor over to her. You know, this this show doesn't run like it does without Beth. So there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes she has to deal with, particularly Vahe's technology issues. (laughs) And sometimes even mine as well. You guys see the, uh, the, the 30 minutes we get, um, and you probably think, hey, that could run a little bit more smoothly. Uh, imagine what it would be like without Beth. So um, we'll, we'll certainly, certainly miss, uh, miss having her here.
1: Yeah, I would just add that uh, Beth's the glue. Um, and you can see uh, the adjustments we all kind of make in mid-show. Uh, sometimes we make them better than others. But uh, if Beth had her way, we'd have better backgrounds all the time uh it's kind of neat to see beth uh Beth's background here um you're looking like you set it up well beth but we were all grateful to you and and uh you've been a constant for us in a in a real time of flux too and a cheerful constant at that take it away beth
3: oh no see this is why i like being a producer because i don't have to like get on and say things uh i mean thanks to our viewers uh you guys are a really good audience. You ask really good questions. You make really good comments. And you all are lucky to have these guys as your Kansas City sports source because they are consummate professionals. They are fantastic writers and okay, speakers, you know, they're all right. We all in Kansas City are very lucky to have this, this team of, uh, of sports writers. But uh, as for me, I have been at the Star for almost 16 years, doing uh, this show for about the last three. You know, I came in starting to do this around 2019, which was a really, a really pretty good year to start doing, you know, the Chiefs show. It was quite a ride. And doing this is has been a real uh, privilege for me. And I'm going to miss you guys. This is a, a fun part of the day for me.
0: Well, believe me, Beth, and I'm sure I speak for everyone and even our former colleague Sam Mellinger and even for Blair Kirkhoff who I'm sure is watching and, and Blair continue on with your recovery we will miss you terribly <laughs> just on that one and with that that is a wrap as the Chiefs get ready to face off against the Cincinnati Bengals for Vahe Gregorian for Sam McDowell and for producer Beth I'm Herbie Teopia. very good Happy New Year to everyone out there we will see you post game Sunday on sports beat live